now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift Vieira's Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. Today's show is brought to you by GoDaddy.com. Visit GoDaddy.com and enter promo code GILBERT149 to get your $49.com today. Go, Daddy! It's go time! This is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre, and we're here at the Friars Club. Our guest today has worked with Gene Hackman, John Malkovich, Matt Damon, George Clooney, Edward Norton, Martin Landau, Dennis Hopper, and Brad Pitt. And yet, the biggest thrill of his life was to work with me. Gilbert Gottfried. Welcome, writer-director Brian Koppelman. Zero, spelled X-E-R-O, is the online accounting software and platform for your small business. With Zero, it doesn't matter if your small business is brick and mortar or online. That's because Zero was born in the cloud and built in the cloud. This means that you can manage your accounting anytime, anywhere, from your Mac, PC, iOS, or Android device. Sign up for a free 30-day trial at Zero.com slash podcast to manage your invoicing and get paid faster. Get an instant view of your cash flow, track your expenses on the go, and manage all of your financial reports. You can even collaborate with your accountant or bookkeeper in real time whenever you like. Zero seamlessly integrates with over 350 best-in-class business tools to process mobile payments, manage payroll, run your back office, and much more. It's no wonder that over 370,000 customers in more than 180 countries use Zero, And you can too. Sign up for a free 30-day trial at zero.com slash podcast. That's X-E-R-O dot com slash podcast. And not only that, Zero randomly selects five people a month who have signed up 
to receive a mystery box of goodies, zero plus, from a company that already swears by zero. Zero, beautiful accounting software. Now, now your father, Charles Koppelman, was one of the biggest music moguls of all time. Uh, what the fuck do you do? That's a great yes. question. Thank you. What a welcome. <laughs> what a welcome. We can talk about all that, but I have to tell you first, you've ruined uh, Harry Chapin for me forever. <laughs> Why? Because I had sex with him first? Yeah, th- yes. that, because you, uh, I, and it got cut out of when you were on my podcast because there was some kind of recording glitch, I think, from the great beyond. Chapin did it, but you told me you had this, like, murder fantasy. <laughs> Whenever... Whenever he hears taxi? Whenever you hear taxi or yeah. cats in the cradle. Uh-huh. And the other night I was, I mean, if you think this is a low rung of show business, the other night I was asked to induct somebody into the Long Island Music Hall of Fame. Yeah. And so I went out there, and, and in this very moving moment for everybody else, one of Harry Chapin's daughters got up and sang uh, Cats in the Cradle, and all I could think about was you strangling. <laughs> I st- yes. Now, now he's already gone. Yes. Now, all those people who wrote songs like that, like him and who was the other? Jim Croce. Jim Croce. Yeah. They all crashed in cars. John Denver's dead. Yeah, yes. Well, he crashed in, in a plane. plane. Well, Cro- yeah. Croce's no, was Croce's a plane, a plane too. also. Yeah. Oh, Airplane. Croce was a plane Correct. also. Yes. Correct. Okay, so can I spread the rumor <laughs> that I was supposed to get on that plane <laughs> with uh, Croce, and at the last minute, I was buying some chiclet. <laughs> <laughs> and I missed it. Yeah, yes, yes. I want to spread that as a f- popular rumor. Now, now you you would help your father find musical acts. Yes, that's true. Yes, I did. Now, who were some of the people you discovered? Well, um, I discovered Tracy Chapman is probably the most famous person that I was the first person to hear. Um, and others, you know, uh, Eddie Murphy, his first record deal. Uh, but these are, this all was very, very long time yes, ago. Yes, yes. And my girl wants to party all the time, party all the time, yeah. party all the time. <laughs> yeah, but the true killer track on that record <laughs> yes. is Boogie in the Butt. Boogie uh, in the Butt? I remember How did it. you miss that? I remember could, it. Could, Padre, sure. You may remember, but yeah, how I did do. you not feed that to him could, first? Could, could you sing Boogie in the Butt for us? The key line was, um, <laughs> put the boogie in your butt. Put the boogie in your butt. Put put the boogie in your butt. See, that's a little too subtle. <laughs> <laughs> See, I like songs that you have to think about, that you got to hear it a few times. My, <laughs> my favorite line in the song was, uh, do you remember uh, the item that w- uh, women used to wear, a culottes? Oh, sure. Oh, my God, yes, that was an ugly fashion. Well, the, in the song, they felt uh, you should put a culotte in your butt. Put a culotte in your butt? That was one of the tags now, at now the does, end, does in the vamp, during like the vamp. actually wrapping up I remember a culotte the vamp. and shoving it in your butt? Or? <laughs> How would you do it? I don't know. I, 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 I usually do it with jeans. Did, did we establish <laughs> that your dad was Charles Koppelman, the legendary music producer and executive? Yeah, he, uh, Gilbert uh, Opelman. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. You, you, not you not just... sure he actually said his name. Yes. He did. It was like the <laughs> yeah. first two words. Right. I recognize them. Yeah. So you work for your dad for a time. 
Sit down. So what? you work for your well, dad? Well, no, I was in high. I was not working for my dad. I did that when I was in college. But you were at Tufts University, and then yeah, I was at Tufts University, um, and then yeah, found Tracy Chapman, and um, while organizing an anti-apartheid uh, boycott against uh, you know divest- a pro-divestment rally, there was this movement in the uh, '80s where these these universities would invest their endowments. Um, in just throw a dick joke in, by the way. Yes, you so, want. So, I, so, I'm talking I, I about was, this. No, I was just thinking. Can. Let's throw a dick joke you're one in. Of, or, you're one of those Jew liberals, yeah, then, basically. Yeah. I'm saying, are you, I was yeah, ready yes. for you. I mean, honestly. Okay. Uh, let's talk about something else. Here, I have Okay, an idea. let's have a It's your show. Joke. Do you have but any let's, dick jokes let's, for us? <laughs> Uh, here, I'll tell you something you're going to enjoy, Gilbert. This is for you. I was walking over here, and I was thinking, you know, I don't really have many stories that took place 30 years ago. Santa Padre's going back to when I'm 18 mm-hmm. yes. in college. Um, and uh, But the other day, something happened to me that I thought was worthy of uh, talking about on, on here. And it is that, uh, like you, I'm a skeptic. You know, Penn is both of yes. our good friends, and I'm an, an atheist and well, a skeptic. Well, I, I, the reason you're a skeptic is because you're a Sagittarius. Yes. Yeah, I think of that's course. the real I, reason. Yes, there's all <laughs> – isn't. So uh, – but I'd heard – I have a, a hurt back, and I, I heard that there was this – all these self-help guys um, on various podcasts started talking about this therapy called cryogenic chambers. Oh, wow. Do you know what that is? Sure. Yes, that's where allegedly Walt Disney is. That's uh, where, yeah, but yes. that's sort of like taking it to the, but what they yeah. do now is they've come up with this thing where, for, this is what the pitch is, you go in for three minutes to where they, and they release in this little chamber an, uh, an amount of nitrous oxide that's uh, at 250 degrees, minus 250 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, and uh, you freeze, and it reduces all bodily inflammation and cures you of whatever it is that might be oh. <laughs> And I heard about it, and I thought, all right, that just sounds so outrageous. And what if it worked? Because we're all fucking suckers sometimes. And I was like, I got to go check this out. So the guy I make movies with and I, Dave, we go, I, I look, and I'm in Manhattan. There has to be, if there's cryogenic chambers in the world, there has to be one. You know, nearby. Oh, yeah. So there's one ten blocks. There's one two blocks from where we are right now. Yes. Is and there a free one Gilbert could check out? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's ninety bucks, but they'll let you do it for seventy forty five the oh, first time. Yeah. So <laughs> got a coupon. But so on the way there, we're talking to each other, going like, "We have to be the biggest suckers on earth. Like we're really going to go and go into this thing, and it's two hundred degrees." You know. And uh, we start making jokes about that Mammoth movie, The Spanish Prisoner, with, you know, where Steve Martin is this con man. And then we walk up and you go into a building, a tiny elevator, a little thing. Because, you know, the, the, the therapy yeah, that did. cures everybody is always in some obscure building down at the end yeah, of a well, hall. In, in every movie, yeah. it's in some abandoned warehouse <laughs> where you go in in an alleyway and it's state of the art. Let me say one thing ahead of time. The name I'm going to say at the end of this story is so good and so perfect for the two of you that you're going to think you're going to think I made it up or that there's you won't be able to find, come up with a better name. I'll ask you who this person should be at the end of the story. Penn knows this it's 100% true. So we walk into the cryogenic place and it is right out of Spanish prisoner. There is a well-dressed waspy couple, 60 years old, putting their scarves on having just finished, saying to the guy, <laughs> saying to the guy, ah, "I feel revivified." <laughs> This is marvelous. <laughs> and then the guy actually says, like in one of those movies, uh, 
let me know about franchising opportunities. I want to open these all over the country. That's great. Like, as though they obviously have that guy rolling in whenever somebody comes to do their therapy. So I say, oh, I want to try this. What do I do? I'll sign these releases. It's going to be great. And they tell me, you have to go in the back. You have to disrobe. Then you put on, you put on woolen mittens and clogs. <laughs> so, and then you go into the thing uh, nude, but with mittens and clogs because of your extremities and the mm-hmm. thing. So I, and you, but you get a little thin robe on first. Now, do you wear anything over your balls? Yes, you do. You wear oh. just you can wear a, a cotton. You can wear cotton underwear. Can't have anything on it. You can have one thing. Right? <laughs> Not even a cod piece. <laughs> No codpiece. Wow. So, wait, so I'd the be whole more time, worried about that than my feet. So going, yeah, sure. Going yes. through the thing, I'm the whole time. I'm, I'm thinking, uh, oh, this is, is it real? Is it bullshit? You know, all these people uh, do it, and, and how will I know if it, like, is it going to be a placebo effect? And so they start talking to you about well, afterwards what you're going to have to do. You walk by exercise equipment that you're supposed to afterwards to uh, rewarm yourself up, and you can only stay in there for exactly three minutes, and all the pseudoscience bullshit. And I go in, and there's an outer chamber, and then in it you see um, all the like the smoke and everything from the <laughs> cryogenics. And uh, it just happened last week. I I go in, and I'm, I have the little thin robe on, and of course there's this ice maiden from Poland who runs in, and she's like, "Do you want to disrobe now, or you disrobe?" And I'm like, "I'll out this robe, you know, I don't give a shit." So I I take off the the robe, and I'm standing there in my mittens and my clogs, and they just open the little secret chamber that you go in where they then turn it to 250, and it's horribly scary and the freezing. And just as I'm about to go in, a guy bursts in and says, the VIP is here. Now, this whole treatment's three minutes. (laughs) (laughs) That cures you of everything. Everything. Three minutes. minutes. Cancer, anything. VIP is here. Can't wait. (laughs) Do you mind stepping out? <laughs> wow. So the, like getting dumped. So the you're end. there naked, I'm naked gloves and gloves and clogs. <laughs> and about to step in to 250 you're degrees. Standing minus. there with your dick and yeah, the and wind. It's, and it's it's uh, you can feel how freezing it is. And I go like, wait, you said it's three minutes. The VIP can't wait three minutes. And they say, This is a real VIP. Can't wait three minutes. So I'm like, what the fuck? All right, I, I, okay. Okay. <laughs> Fine, put the robe back. So I put the robe back over the thing, and I, you know, clonk out in the uh, clogs, and they open the outer door so the VIP can come walking in, in the robe, and the clogs and the mittens. And I will tell you that when I tell you who the VIP was, you will understand that I then knew the whole thing was not only bullshit, (laughs) (laughs) but it was one of the great moments of my life. Who, Who should it be? Who should it be? Who should the VIP be? Oh, wow. That's a tough one. It could be Tom Cruise. Is it a new agey kind of person? So much better than Tom Cruise. Oh, better than Tom Cruise. Not John Travolta. Not a Scientologist. By the way, so much. The name for where we are, so much better than Joe Franklin. Milton Berle? Those would be great. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, not possible. And can you imagine? I'd pay money for that. Shaggy Green? (laughs) You ready? Yeah. Because neither of you are going to believe it. We're in the Friars Club, so. Yoko Ono. Wow. Oh, no. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> that should have been the first name I thought of. It's the best name. Wow. Wow. That should have been the exact first name. As wow. Penn said, the number one rule of storytelling is you, you can never say, I'm going to tell you a name at the end, and it's going to be uh, as good as... But 
honestly, you can save that name to the end oh, of the story. That yeah, one, that's a big payoff. That one, and it's, it's one of those like, oh, God, why didn't I think of that one first? <laughs> I was trying to think of in the whole history of show business, who would have been better? Oh, I think or, 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 only Warhol. Oh, yeah. The only name I could think of that would have been better. Was she naked with mittens? She, so, yeah. <laughs> naked. She had the little robe. Uh-huh. She, of course, had the handler with her. Everyone else, they're like, no one can go in. It's live. But, of course, her, she can have the handler oh, go yes. in. <laughs> it's all bullshit. That's great. And then I will tell you, and this is the other part. So I step out. And then Dave, my, the guy I made movies with, and I, we stare at each other. And we fall out laughing that I got bumped. <laughs> I got bumped for I, Yoko. I, and then so she goes in there to get cryogenically frozen, which explains a lot, by the way. Oh, yes. <laughs> and she comes out, and uh, the guy immediately put the sunglasses back on her. Wow. Because, <laughs> you know, she has them. You've seen her walking around New York. I'm sure, you know, oh, oh yes. Yeah. Giant, yes. Yeah. Right those, back on. She's X-ray one specs. of those people, like Woody Allen, who has those recognizable disguises. Yes. And so did you explain to Yoko that now that John is dead, she's pretty meaningless and is not a VIP? I just wanted to say, I, I tell you, every horrible, you know, you wonder if you're a bad person or a good person. <laughs> and then staring at Yoko, oh, no, you just know what you are. Oh, sadly. <laughs> because. So one of our guests, David Steinberg. Who I you, love. You have, yeah. a, you have a story, something that happened when you were 14. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Sorry um, to go back again. We can go back. Um, yeah. Well, Gilbert, I think I told you this, but um, David Steinberg, who is a great pal of my father's and sort of a godfather to me, um, really just one of my favorite people in the world, cue David Steinberg impression. Oh, yes. You know, <laughs> I, you know in, in college, in college. Yeah, they, David, oh, how do you feel about this uh, mayor of Toronto, Rob Ford, David? Well, the mayor of Toronto... He's, uh, he, he takes drugs. He's, he's a big drug taker. And uh, he's a drug addict. <laughs> it's a little like Alan Thicke. You yes. got the whole Canadian. Yes. They all have that same. But the Steinberg was first. The Steinberg yes. impression yes. was yeah. first. Yeah. He's established that long ago. Um, he took you to see. Well, yeah. So Steinberg said to me... Uh, he knew I loved comedy, and I was really interested in this stuff. And, and he said, I'm going to take you to the city to see uh, this guy. I'd never been to a comedy club before. And uh, he will either kill or die a horrible death. <laughs> <laughs> but either way, Brian, he's a genius. And uh, so he took me to the city. The two of us went to Ca- the old Carolines. And, um, you know, Gilbert came out. And I do remember every moment. It was one of the, you know, signal moments as a, somebody wanted to do something creative for, for, their, for their lives. I mean, watching Gilbert do the thing that he did uh, on stage that night where, you know, you were, did a really outset, but they were with you. Um, you know, you did the character with the buttoning up the shirt. And, uh, the Ben Gazzara bit? Well, he didn't do the Ben Gazzara bit uh-huh. that night. Um, <laughs> Disappointing. No, he did this one, this thing about Ethiopia that night. It was oh, just a one-line yeah. thing. Oh, oh, I, I, I think that was, uh, you know, I, uh, oh, John Kennedy died in my arms, and Bobby Kennedy died in my arms, and Martin Luther King died in my arms, and I, I just got back from B, uh, Biafra, and boy, are my arms tired. <laughs> <laughs> I have never heard you do that yes. bitch. That's great. 
<laughs> little Tony Orlando in there about the dying in the arms part. Oh, but yes. then, yes. you know, as a 14-year-old, it did blow my mind. So in the middle of this thing where he was doing, like, a fully out, you know, late period Miles kind of a set, you know, he would turn his glasses in a certain way and, and then become that character who would say, uh, this that's isn't, not that's not funny. funny. Yeah. Oh, this isn't comedy. <laughs> And, you know, that's what I obviously like all I knew of comedy was Gabe Kaplan. So. <laughs> that was basically Gabe Kaplan's act. Gary, you could cross Gabe Kaplan off our, uh, our invite. Yes. <laughs> I loved Gabe Kaplan. I, I begged my dad to take me to see Gabe Kaplan when I was like 12 at the Westbury Music Fair um, for my birthday. And he walked out. And at 12, he just, it was all those jokes, you know, all set up punchline, sure. regular observational <laughs> jokes. Except then he wanted to prove, like all these guys when they get on TV on a regular show, they want to prove they can work blue. Oh, yes. So then he started doing all these fucking masturbation jokes, which is a 12-year-old. Yeah, he did all these jokes about, uh, I remember one uh, where he compared um, having a wet dream, but he would call it nocturnal emission, the proper. And, oh, yes. And he would do a whole routine like it was uh, the Apollo launch. Oh. And he would go, oh, prepare for nocturnal emission and this whole control tower to thing. And um, I just remember sitting there thinking, oh, Gabe Kaplan's not funny. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember. It was a horrible realization. I think it was. I think George Carlin said it's easier to go from being a dirty comic to a clean comic than from being a clean one to a dirty one. Sure. And, and let's all have a moment of silence for Marsha yes. Strassman. Yes. Who, oh, yes. His co-star. Yes, Mrs. Cotter. Who went on away. to her reward yes. I, yesterday. We're having a good laugh over the death of an actress. I loved her. It's, now, 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 I thought she was, the, as a young boy, she was the greatest. Now, so we, we, we met there at that. Uh, we did. We met then. And then you and I met also. The, uh, everybody says they were at the Hilton that night of the... Uh, the Friars Roast, but I was there, as I told with Frank DiGiacomo, who ended up writing that piece. Oh, the Hefner uh, Roast? At the Hefner Roast. Yeah. I was at the Hefner Roast with Frank DiGiacomo, so I saw that whole thing, and I met you that night, but um, you were, uh, and you were nice, and I went up to you and I said, uh, oh, Gilbert, we have some friends in common, I'm, I'm good friends with Alan Havey, and you said, why? <laughs> <laughs> so Alan Havey turn up in, uh, turns up in Rounders? Absolutely, yeah. of there's, course. There's yeah. a few and not, not comedians at that table. Lenny Clark. Yes. Lenny Clark's at the yeah. table, absolutely, yep. in Rounders. Yep. Um, Saw him. And, uh, yeah, well, Havey's been my friend since I, I was and 19. Was, sweet guy. Was Josh Mostel yeah. Yeah. there, too? He, and he's in Knock Around I've guys had Josh Mostel yeah. in a couple of movies. I love Josh. He's a hilarious guy. And um, you guys should have – have you had Josh on the show? No, we should. We should. He's perfect to have on the show. Now, now, when when we met, did David Steinberg go, Brian? I want you to meet Gordonbert. I think you and Gordonbert will get along swimmingly. I think he might have said, "Don't talk to Gilbert." <laughs> I know. I think that he might have said, "Just watch him from afar. Watch Gilbert." <laughs> So let's talk a little bit. Your, your dad's in the music business. Yes. You're oh, in, oh, wait, wait. I just remembered something. Because <laughs> you mentioned Gabe Kaplan. Uh-oh. I did. And, and your father, uh, didn't he uh, uh, produce albums for uh, Love and Spoonful? Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. What's the so connection here? The biggest, uh, his biggest hit. Oh, God. John, later. Oh, John That's Sebastian. exactly right. Yes. Very good. Welcome back, John Potter. Sebastian. Later. Very I mean, good. they weren't working together by then. But, oh. uh, yes, later, John Sebastian <laughs> yeah. uh, did. 
he did do the the song for I that movie. I have a feeling that's probably his biggest money maker. Oh, I'm sure. Well, no. Yeah. Do you believe in magic? Do you believe in magic? Oh yes, song. yes. It would have to be. Do you believe in magic? Um, and then Summer in the City, and then probably oh, Welcome yeah. Back Third would be uh, as a publisher's son. But I'm just thinking, does he get paid every time Welcome Back Carter? I think he does. John Sebastian? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's one of those shows that's always going to pop up somewhere. Well, that's quality entertainment. (laughs) (laughs) Can you name all the kids on Welcome Back? Sure I can. Epstein, Freddie Boom Boom Washington, Juan Epstein, uh, Arnold Horshack, uh, and uh, Vinnie Boom Boom Barbarino. Do you know? No, not Boom Boom Barbarino. It's uh, Just Freddie Boom Boom Washington. No, yeah. but uh, Vinnie Barbarino. Just Vinnie Barbarino. He didn't have a nickname. Do you well, know? but then he would do that song, Bar 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 Barbarino. That's true. On, as a riff on Barbara on the Beach Boys. That uh, Robert Hedges and uh, what's his name? Sammy Petrillo. Oh, so, uh, 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 yeah, I know you mean. Ron Palillo. Ron Palillo. The late Ron Palillo. And Robert Hedges died in the same year. So, when they were doing the thing on <laughs> oh, the yeah. Grammys... Rather than show two separate clips, they, they had a clip together? of them together, wow. and it saved time. It saves two seconds. Yeah. It's yeah. important. You had, like, uh, when, a clip of them together. When Palillo died, something very sad happened for us <laughs> in our office, which is whenever we're asked to make cast, you know, you're always, when you're making movies, you're always making these cast lists, and... You know, you. Uh, I'm sure you guys have this. There are just certain things you say to each other by rote. So whenever we have to make a cast list for, like, the butch lead of a movie, one of us always, <laughs> no matter what, says, well, obviously, Palillo. <laughs> but now that he died, somehow that seems disrespectful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> before everything we've said to this point it seemed is fair. Not. But remember, now, Ron Palillo, like so many of those people, like, like Urkel and all of those, oh, and like Dustin Diamond, they all try to act really tough at one point to show their he-man. Did Palillo and go through Ron tough? Palillo was in that boxing show. I don't remember. I think he... Celebrity boxing? Yeah, celebrity boxing. Uh, and it oh, was he Ron, got hit, though. He lost. Yes, That's right. Yes. That's and right. Who, oh, he, you're right. He fought another nerd. You're so right. Did he fight Todd Bridges? No, no, he fought like uh, I think it was another nerd. Well, we'll like have, famous we'll have our nerd. crack research team is working on it. I remember Danny Bonaducci fought Donnie Osmond. Oh yes, yes. Which we'll ask Danny. Which about. was that was that celebrity boxing show was so it was like a nightmare. Poor Ron Palillo. Yeah, but he <laughs> fought. Oh, who did he box? This is hard. We're working on it. Do you think during those three years that Palillo always somewhere inside of him knew? This is all it's going to be. Oh, my God. What do you think? Yeah, I have a sneaking suspicion that he really thought he'd be like this respected Shakespearean actor because he went to acting school and everything. And I, I have. So, is this let, a bad time to point out that I worked with both Ron Palillo and Robert Hedges <laughs> <laughs> on the TV Land Awards? He used to be a dry cleaner. But wait, who played, uh, who played Boom Boom? Um. Uh, oh wait, Boom Boom was which one? The uh, Lawrence Hilton guy? Jacobs. Yes, yes, nice man. I knew there who, was who later on would play the father of Michael Jackson in the Jackson TV movie. Yes, <laughs> very good. <laughs> and, <laughs> you are working overtime. And he was also in. He was also one of the muggers in Death Wish. That's correct. 
Death Wish had a lot of famous muggers. Didn't Stallone turn up in Death Or was that Bananas? Bananas. And Stallone's bananas. on the subway. And, and, right. and he's also uh, a suspected mugger in Prisoner of Second Avenue That's with right. Jack Lemmon. That's right. But the other muggers in Death Wish are uh, uh, mugger and rapist Jeff Goldblum. And in another part, he's just there for a second, Denzel Washington. Really? Wow. Yeah, he's he's a mug. Boom Boom Denzel. Washington and Denzel yeah. Washington. Excuse <laughs> me. They were originally going to call the film Washington and Washington. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> David Steinberg once directed me. And what did he direct you? In in, in um, 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 Mad About You. Oh yeah, I heard him. You guys talk about it on his show. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, and he was. He told me I had to run out of the room at one point. And he said, could you run a little faster? And I said, yeah, I guess I can run fast. And he goes, no, I don't mean faster. Can you run a little um, more graceful? And I said, I suppose. And, and then he goes, no, I don't want it more graceful. And then finally he sighs and throws his hands in the air and goes, can you run less Jewish? <laughs> <laughs> Now, did we find out? I believe our crack research team, Dustin Diamond. Dustin Diamond. Wow. Perfect. Versus Ron Palillo. I told you it was another nerd. So so Palillo lost. And I remember Ron Palillo, and this shows you this is a horror story. He had an eye the size of an orange, (laughs) and it was like bleeding at the end of this. And I thought, oh, you know, the fun to this... I, I enjoy these horror things as much as anyone, and this is just wrong. I didn't think doing this podcast would make me this sad. <laughs> that's, what, that's what we're all about. I'm just deeply... I think this is... Most people have killed themselves. I never knew what a clinical depression really was until right... This must be what it feels like. They have to walk around all the time feeling like this. Let's, I'm determined to ask you about your, your, your screenwriting career and your movie ask career. Ask me anything you want to ask. Yes. So how, how did you... you you're working uh, in the music business... Were you scouting talent? We talked about, on the phone, we talked about My Father's Place, a, a legendary uh, music hangout in Long Island where we're both from. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I was, uh, I was always, I always figured that's what I'd do, would be somebody who would go, because I did grow up, my dad sure. was in the record business, as, as you, you guys said, and I grew up going to recording studios. I spent a lot of time going with him and, and watching these bands, you know, watching Barbara Streisand record her albums, or Dolly Parton, or... Um, all these pop acts, that, mm-hmm. that's really what my father did, these pop music acts mostly. And, um, and I, I had a real affinity for it, and I was able to uh, recognize when a song would be successful. Even from a young age, I kind of, you know, you, you're, if, you're, if you pay attention and you're around it, you pick a bunch of stuff up. So I figured that's what I'd do. And then in college, when I found Tracy and then helped make that first album that was so successful, it just felt like that's the path that I was on. And I worked at various different record companies. But something in it um, left me cold for a variety of reasons. And uh, it was really after the, the, the birth of my son, I was, I, this may be a little too hopeful and sentimental for Gilbert to handle. <laughs> I'm so sure it will be. You, I'll throw, look, I promise just, I'll throw in a dick joke. Oh, great. Yeah, tell me when. Yeah, throw so the just dick joke. Just look in my and, direction. Bro. Okay. And, uh, but I realized like, I wanted to tell my son to go chase whatever he wanted to chase as he grew up, whatever dreams he, he had, and that I wasn't. And I was kind of miserable doing what I was doing because what I really wanted to do was this thing of finding a way to make movies. So my best friend and I, and I was at that time a degenerate poker player living in these poker clubs. Uh, I would go to work, 
um, I would stop home, see my wife and my son um, when they when Sammy would go to bed because I had to go I had to go watch bands all night long. That was my job. The, in between, I would just go play cards all night. And and uh, but I walked into this poker club, and uh, and one guy said to another guy, there was a there was a Hasidic guy playing poker at, at the table, <laughs> and. Um, and he and another guy at the table got into a fight, and the one guy accused the Hasidic guy of cheating. And the third guy at the table said, said come on, Hashi's a man of God. And the guy A said, man of God, come on. He's the only Jew I know who took Germany plus the points. It's funny. And, <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> and a guy said that in the room. Uh, and I, I remember just going, like, holy shit, this is the movie. And I called my partner, Dave, who's my best friend, and I said, I know what we should write about. And then starting the next morning, we started writing Rounders and spent a long time researching it and going to the clubs and writing stuff down. And, you know, lines of dialogue, ways people looked at one another, fights that happened. And we just started putting together this story. And then we met every morning for two hours before I'd go to work. Dave was tending bar. And uh, I guess before he would go, you know, he'd finish his thing, come over to my apartment Amy had cleared out a storage area under our apartment building. It has slop sink and nothing else. And we sat in this room and wrote that screenplay in like five months and uh, four and a half months or something. And it got rejected by every single agency in Hollywood. They all said it. One guy would say it's overwritten. The next guy would say it's underwritten, all that stuff. And then some kid manager, young guy, never sold anything, said, I think, um, I think this thing is great. And I think it's a movie. And he got it to some producer, got it to Harvey Weinstein, who bought it. And you know, within two days, all those same agents called to sign us. Of course. And uh, I got to say to them, but you said it was overwritten. <laughs> and you said underwritten. I still don't know what those terms mean. Mm-hmm. And uh, that started us being able to have this other life, um, making, you know, making movies and television. It's inspiring. And now, you had your dialogue recited by a ridiculous cast. I mean, Matt Damon, John Turturro... Uh, Malkovich. Malkovich. Martin Landau. Yeah. yeah uh, I mean, an incredible It cast. was amazing. Yeah, I was there every day Edward on Norton. set. Oh, yeah. oh, that's right. We were, Yeah, we were on set every day Gretchen and a part Moe. of it. Yeah. Sure. And Fomka Jansen. Yeah, good cast. Fomka Jansen was in it? Oh, yeah. Oh, she was the girl She's with the, the dark hair. Yeah, she yeah. Comes, gonna, yes. comes and offers herself yes. to Matt Damon. Yes, I forgot and, about Fomka Jansen. Yeah, sure. That's my, one of my favorite names. In fact, uh, even Jansen. in a small little part before she was famous... Um, Melina Kanakaridis, who then had like, you know, five years of her own show on TV is in the movie. It was great. It was an amazing thing. And you thought, oh, this is what Hollywood's going to be like. Write a script, yeah. you're in production within a year. The movie comes, you know, the movie comes out within another few months oh, yes. of that. Uh, you know, it just felt like you get the dream actors you, to you act thought- in it. Making movies was like these movies about making movies. Yeah, you go in yeah. a thing, you go yeah. in a room with your buddy, yeah. you write the script. And Matt Damon's in it. There's a pile of cigarettes on the ground, crumpled paper, and next thing, the movie premiere. Exactly. What I love about it, too, is it's one of these movies that teaches you something. I remember reading an interview with John Huston once, and he's talking about the gold panning scenes in The Treasure of the Sierra Madre Mm -hmm. and and, and how you learn, actually learn to pan gold, that he thought if you could teach somebody something, if you could actually show them, show it happening on screen, this movie teaches you, I don't know anything about poker, but after I saw the movie, I felt like I had... But isn't Treasure... Thank you. That's true. But isn't Treasure Sierra Madre just the greatest? Wonderful. Oh, yeah. Wonderful. And you I see watch it every week. It. You see echoes of it in so many movies now. Yeah. Well... Past that... Yeah. Yeah. Not to mention the Bugs Bunny cartoon. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> they were always doing that in those Warner Brothers. Uh, yeah, there's like, I think there was one, A Simple Plan. Sure. Oh, there, yeah, the Sam Raimi movie. Yeah, all these movies that have people who are friends who get money and then turn on each other. Yeah, so many of them. And also just even, I think, like the beginning... Have the panning for like the beginning mm-hmm. whole piece of it, the way the ripoffs happen, what they're trying to do. I you just I, I see echoes of it in all sorts of movies, just visual echoes of that movie. If people haven't seen it, that's and I remember, nobody's disappointed when they watch. That. I remember on one. that movie when Houston goes, <laughs> "You're dumber than the dumbest jackass." <laughs> he doesn't dance. He does <laughs> yes, that little jig. Yes, it's great. But, and do you remember who the little Mexican kid is? No, who is it? Robert Blake. Oh, oh yes, yes, that's true. Yeah, yes, a young Robert Blake. Yeah, that was one of his first roles. <laughs> Doesn't he hit him? He hits Bogart up for money. Oh uh, yeah, and yeah. then later, I think he sells him a lottery ticket. That's right. That's right. What's your theory yeah. on what happened to him? Like, what do you think happened to that guy? Oh, God knows. What do oh, you think? Oh, and then then Robert Blake is the one who recognizes at the end. The bags that Bogart that's had, right. and that's how. Okay, what happened to Robert? Yeah, I what think, do you he think he was happened? nutty to begin with. Yeah, right. That, yeah. That, that's obvious. I think yeah, even on those Jeep Carson, when you watch him on those Carson episodes, he's very oddball, but he's he he seems in control of the crazy. Oh man. yes, the Tom Snyder well, show too, the one on ones. Oh, you would really see the meltdown ooh. more than Carson. Robert Blake though has said in interviews that he he resented. Uh, Johnny Carson, because he knew after he was doing them that he was abusing him, uh. that he was taking advantage of the fact that he had emotional problems. <laughs> and Carson liked that. Carson liked it. Oh, he have a fun nut on the show. Like, oh, this guy's crazy. We're gonna, uh, that's hey. the name of that team. <laughs> yeah. Hey. yeah. We're going yeah. to book him right after Gabe Kaplan. And you know what I think, too, with that murder? Where you know, yeah, uh, that's what, yeah, where yeah. he just disappeared, and um, you know, this is funny. A friend of mine took me to that restaurant, uh, and when I was leaving, the waiter chased me outside because I had left my sunglasses that were like a five dollar pair of sunglasses. Did you murder him? Yeah, no. I, I thought so. Allegedly, Robert Blake was able to leave a gun right. on the table. Yes. And uh, walk away, but I to chase you I, down yes, for the sunglasses. Yeah. Sure. See, I think that murder case was like when she died. Ed, the jury was like, "Oh fuck her!" <laughs> <laughs> if he didn't kill her, someone else would have. Fuck her. <laughs> but he did. Like when you would see, I, I never understand when you see a picture of somebody, and they're they're just such you know so radically unrecognizably different. Oh yeah. I think he had a troubled childhood from the beginning. I mean, if he, t- he talks about it. I think he was troubled, like Gilbert says, from the get-go. Yeah. I don't think it was something that, developed, that Hollywood But it's created. amazing when someone's... I mean, it's one thing to talk, talk about Palillo. But when you think about where... Because Palillo, sort of, even if he didn't know, it was just a short yeah. thing we knew. Oh, yes. But Robert Blake was the biggest star that there was when he was on that show. Yeah. Robert Blake on was Beretta. a titanic star. Well, first, everyone knew him first from In Cold Blood. And then Electric Light and Blue. Oh, right. yes. Oh, I like that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, of course. In Cold Blood and then Electric Light and Blue, which has, you know, one of those great 60s bad endings, you know, uh, endings where it doesn't end happily. Oh, yes. <laughs> and uh, then, yeah, then Beretta. And he is like the guy. Uh, he's the biggest TV star. He can go on tele, you know, any show he wants. 
and then the thing just just goes away. It's you know. I have a great Robert Blake clip that I'll send you from YouTube. From yeah. what period of time? Uh, singing, singing with Gavin McLeod on the Dinah Shore show. Oh my god! Which has to be seen to be believed. Oh, oh my god! But get, getting back to Rounders. I just remember I loved him so. I just did think Beretta because I was probably seven or six years. So I just thought Beretta was the greatest yeah. human co- ever created. And the he was like the yeah. coolest guy in the right. world. But now, if you watch it, it's so campy and horrible. Oh, it, it, it's but, but when you're a kid, it seems like the horrible seventies cool. shit. You know, that, that only the seventies could. Well, yeah, produce. in the seventies, your toughest cops had a cuckoo on their shoulder or a lollipop <laughs> right. in their mouths. And those were the signs that's of. Right. That's right. Those are the icons of toughness. And a wheelchair. Ironside was yeah, in a wheelchair. Wheel, a wheelchair. Was it was it tough with Rounders to, to to make poker cinematic? Was that one of the challenges? You know, we worked with this cars? great director John Dahl, who mm-hmm. uh, if you saw the Last Seduction or Red sure, Rock West, sure. he's just an incredible visual stylist. Um, I guess you know we were we were just trying to figure out. We were so fascinated by those people, by you know like poker players, and I still think it's the case, even though the the tournament competitive poker maybe cuts it a little, uh, but. They're like gunslingers where their people – I've always just um, admired so much. In a way, it's like comedians, people who can kind of put it all on the line the way that card players do. They're, there's no guarantee that they can even eat next week or pay their rent next week. But something tells them, like, I have to pursue this, and I, I wouldn't have the guts to really do that. I love playing poker, but I would never have cashed it in. I mean, uh, I didn't quit my job to start writing movies. I was responsible about it. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, well, I have to do this in the morning for two hours, and then I'm going to go to work because I have a family. These people are willing to just go like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. I think I can be this thing. I think I can beat you. And I think I'm smarter and sharper. And, and so that idea, that's what we wanted to communicate, right? Mm-hmm. More than – and then at that point, I wasn't directing that movie. Dave. So it was like, well – John will find a way to, to do that other piece. It was very important that the actors in it seemed smart enough, cool enough, aware enough, have the emotional depth to play it. And then I, I felt like, well, it'll find an, an audience. Oh, we just wanted that movie to be like what Diner was for us. When we grew up, Diner, um, Harold Ramis movies, they, we would know them by heart and quote them and, and know every single word. And we just wanted Rounders to be the kind of thing that other guys would feel that way about. So when that was the end result, that's it. We got everything we wanted out of it. Um, it was completely satisfying. Not a commercial success when it first came out. You know what's refreshing to hear you say? Because everyone else has that story that I wanted this movie made and I quit my job and I was getting kicked out of my apartment <laughs> and nobody... Put it on my credit card. Yeah, 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 I put it on my credit card. <laughs> And I was about to get arrested, and my kids were being thrown out in the street, but I fought. And it's like, here, you finally cut through the bullshit and go, no, no, I kept my job. I'm not a fucking idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it just seemed like, I'll tell you, you know, just getting back to my dad. uh, So because my dad is someone who really came up from the streets, you know, I think he went to seven colleges and graduated none. uh, You know, spent a life knocking around to finally, like, find a way to get some success and worked with artists his whole life. I remember I went to him and I said, uh, you know, I really realized this is right at this time. I, um, and I probably was thinking I'd quit what I was going to do. And I said, you know, Dad, I, I, I really think I need to be a writer. You know, the writers are able to access their inner thing <laughs> oh, and the shit. distance between the thing. And, you know, I can really express the inchoate rage in me. And if I just... 
And so maybe I shouldn't. He just looks at me. Uh, and he was just sitting on his bed, I remember. And he just looks at me and he goes, you want to write? Write. <laughs> Simple. And I said, yeah. So and he goes, you're not going to quit your job. No. What are you, like an animal? <laughs> I mean, how are you going you you to eat? Quit your job. And uh, I thought it was great. I was like, oh, yeah, of course. I don't have to quit my job. I just have to get up earlier. It's yes. A, everyone thinks you have to yes. get, uh, It's so important I quit my job. If it's so fucking important, get up at six. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, that's all. If I told you if you got up at six, you could get a fucking blowjob from Christy Turlington, you'd get up at six. <laughs> right? Get, get up at six. <laughs> where, does the, where did the great tell come from, the, uh, the Oreo cookies? In the uh, in rounders, is just something you guys were you were searching for the tell because it's it such a big those, reveal. It was one of those things. I'm sure, like when you to- you told me how you write when you're on stage, Gilbert. Uh, we just knew in that first scene as we were writing it that we wanted the Oreo. We didn't know that it was for a tell. Um, we just knew we wanted that character when the guy comes to the door and looks through the mm-hmm. the, the, the you know slot in the door. We wanted Teddy KGB to be eating something and sort of have a you know. Uh, very satisfied look on his face. And so we just put, oh, he's eating Oreos. Then, so we established the Oreos and then we put them in a couple of times. And then when we wanted to tell, we realized, oh, yeah, it should just be the Oreo. Then we went back and then made the way he ate the Oreo it's significant great. each time. And then Malkovich added the ear to it. And that's what, you know, actors, when they, you know, great actors, um, you've met some, Gilbert. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> great actors will take your thing and they won't try to change it or go like well what if instead we use a grape but they'll take the thing you give them and then they'll make it even richer better deeper and that's like what Malkovich did so like respectfully and nicely and hey I have this thought and he just started like when he would open them listening to him and it just added and it communicated to the audience what was going on in a much more clear way and you worked with him again in knock around guys yeah i love that and, guy is so smart yeah. such a great actor so now it's malkovich he's one of those people i always watch and go is this guy a nut in real life is he a pain in the ass he's a brilliant person no i mean i would uh, he is with among the very easiest people to work wow. with. he's a super super smart person um you know read everything reads 10 you know knows everything in every newspaper has read every book speaks every language he's a brilliant person so He's, he doesn't suffer if you're an asshole. He can give it, of course, you know, if you're a jerk, he, he can really take care of you. But he's, if he senses that you're working as hard as he's working, there's nobody better. He just will give you everything he has. And, and he was an invaluable to us. Like on Knockaround Guys, when, let's say, a producer was trying to, you know, oh, if, you know, the overtime or whatever, John just quietly come up, quietly come up to us and say, um, that guy's lying. Yeah. Um, I can tell you if you do this. You'll, the crew will do that. Just do that thing. And John constantly protected us all the time. That's totally the different uh, opposite image I always had of him. Yeah, of course, yeah. because he's so good. Yeah, and in watching the, him in the movies, I always think, oh, this guy's got to be the biggest pain. The no, ass. he can obviously he can um, access this incredible inner rage, and he he's again, if someone like if you lie to John. Uh, I mean, under, you're dealing with this incredibly smart person with an enormous emotional range. But he's got a wickedly great sense of humor. And if he thinks you're all right, he's a delight. Don't fucking lie to that guy. Don't try to con him. 
uh, and everything's and the acting fine. range. I mean, he's played to, to play to play a scumbag like he does in, in Rounders, and then you think about the character in Places in the Heart, where he's just the most sympathetic, the blind man. Oh no, of there's course. nothing he can't do. Oh, and think about him in the the Killing Fields, right? Or Dangerous Liaison. And we could keep naming John yeah, Malkovich just movies. So, but he's uh, and I just he something kills new me every time. Burn after reading. Yeah, you know, my memoir. You know, you, I, I just had a flashback where you were talking about your father. And I thought, like, I also, like, had a father who actually worked for a living. Right. Who actually got his hands dirty. Your dad owned a hardware store? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in Brooklyn where, like, nothing. But he knew. He could, you know, there was no calling someone in to work on the apartment. He would start bashing down the wall, rewire, plaster it, paint it. And he knew how to do this stuff and, and, you know, got next to no money at a scrounge for it. And it's so funny. Whenever I think, whenever I'm offered a job or I'm at a job and I'm thinking, oh, God, this is the worst. Oh, I yeah. can't believe it. And I'm thinking, okay, if I was sitting in the room with my father now, <laughs> what, would what would he think of me bitching that I got to tell a couple of jokes at a comedy club? In Hawaii. Well, I think about it all the time. <laughs> no, the way in which people who do the things that we do are indulged. And then you get – the worst part is that you become a you – don't you're not even aware of the fact that uh, you're just living in a bubble. Oh, yeah. And that you're so protected. And that you are – that the things that feel like the – that's why, you know, in, in our country even – I mean, there are, uh, you know, 30 percent of the country living in poverty. But for the, the other people – you know, if you take resources away for, like, just two days, it's pure anarchy. Yes. And then you've seen it that's, any That's like, that's like uh, there are about, at least about six Twilight Zone sure. episodes yeah. where they shut the lights down, the Martians shut the lights down, and the whole town turns on each other. But all the things, sure, all the things that we um, uh, think, uh, you know, during the course of your day are, are an annoyance. Like, oh, what if the construction happens outside the window and people can't hear our podcast perfectly? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. We fly into a frenzy. How about if tomorrow I took the fucking water away? That's right. You know. Perspective. Yeah, you want to write? Write. It's not so fucking difficult. So you basically said, I think I'm going to write movies. And within a couple of months, there you are with John Malkovich and, and, yeah. and Martin Landau and Matt Damon. And that, has, that had to be, I mean, do you pinch yourself even now? Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I have total awareness of how yeah. lucky the whole thing has been. Hundred percent. You know, you're aware. Again, not toiling. I pinch myself every night. That's my dick joke that I was going to throw on. I was going to say, if yeah. there's, if there's, is it? Is He's that, doing it now. No, Jergens or Vaseline. <laughs> so I just Jergens or Vaseline. Just. Now, you know, you know. I just remembered. I when talking about that thing of working and not work. I remember one time leaving the set of Hollywood Squares, and it yeah. was a little longer that day. They well, that's cameras. a shitty job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know yes. that. Listen. But I remember I had a driver to take me back to the hotel. I'm sitting in the back of the car, and the driver said, how was uh, your day? And I started to go, oh, you know, this is like the worst. And then and all of a sudden, the other part of my brain said, uh, okay, you when you were driven to work, you had breakfast, 
you told three jokes, broke for lunch, told another three jokes, and are now being driven back to your hotel. But you actually had the presence of mind to connect that right then? Yes, yes. I, I caught myself. Oh, that's great. I, yes, I caught myself because I was about to say, like, oh, you know, you should really feel bad for me. This was a horrible day. <laughs> horrible day is the center square. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Sure. He wasn't even lucky enough to be the center square. <laughs> Let, let's talk a little bit about Ocean's 13 and, and sure. working, working yeah, with Steven Soderbergh. How did, you, how did all this come to be? That was great. Um, Which I just rewatched, by the way, and there's so, and, uh, so, there's did so you, many well, wonderful I have things. To ask, oh, so that did, was two Matt Damon movies. Yes. Yeah. Did you catch... The Godfather reference when Elliot Gould's on the bed? We're not children here. I know you caught the Godfather okay, reference. the Caddyshack one? The Paul Anka quotes. No. There are two quotes in Ocean's 13 from Paul Anka's rant at his band oh, on that tape. I, I, How did you miss it, Frank? Your entire job here uh, is to catch that. I'm so disappointed that in myself. Is that that's you're the, here. Paul Anka, not Buddy Rich. That's the fucking way it's done. There are so, two. Yeah. He says, first of all, he says, right to George Clooney, uh, when I move, I slice like a fucking hammer. Oh, I love it. Al Pacino says that, and he says, don't make a maniac out of me. Right off the Paul Anka <laughs> You missed them both. I am crushed that you didn't have that, friend. Is there a li- I was so is, is sure a little, you would know. Is there a little Caddyshack when somebody says, is it, is it Scott Kahn, says, hey, how about a little something for the effort? Yeah, there's, there's, <laughs> and there are tons of Godfather references, but the Paul Anka ones, and I had to, this was, so I, because of Steinberg and my dad, I know Paul. And, you know, you're writing these things when you write a script. You know, you're, you're, you're writing it. You're putting everything in it. You're not censoring yourself. You just want it to be totally entertaining. So we put the Paul Anka stuff in. We had given – and we gave Al the tapes to listen to because we were like, this is kind of how <laughs> your guy is. Hilarious. So we give him the tapes to listen to of Anka at the band. He loves it. He's like, give me more of those lines if you can. Yeah. So we write a few of them in there. There are a few of them in there. My favorite is I slice like a fucking hammer it's because, great. you know, hammers don't slice. That's great. No. That's what makes it funny, Gilbert, love- in case you're wondering. That's where the- I love that. Wait, so, uh, but then I realized the movie was coming out, and I had to call Mr. Anka because I couldn't have him go to the movie theater because, you know, he ha- is one of the last of those t- genuinely tough saloon singers. Oh, yes. Uh, Probably and, one of the last guys around that work intimately with Sinatra. Right. I mean, he's, and you know, Sinatra's a runner throughout the yeah. whole movie, our fascination yeah. with Sinatra and that time and all that right. stuff. And so I had to call Paul and, uh, and I said, you know, I just want you to know there's an homage, you know, as long as you call yeah. it an homage. <laughs> there's an homage. To, he, was, he was just a total delight. Kid, I'm sure you took great care of me. That's great. <laughs> you know? <laughs> just what you want to, exactly what you want to hear. <laughs> now, what did you think of the first Ocean's Eleven? You mean the, the one from the 50s? The, oh, yeah, yeah, the, the Sinatra. I mean, I, listen, I have an endless fascination with the relationships. Uh, there's, there is, you could put Sinatra at the Sands on any time, that album, and I'm going to listen to it all the way through. It's my favorite. I just wish I could jump into it, right? Uh, you know, what, is the line, what does he say at the beginning? What, what are all these people doing in my room? In my, yeah, yeah, in my, in my, yeah, in my room. Is that it? What yeah. are all these people? The, room, the, the line that he used every night. Yeah, what but, are all oh, these yeah. people but, doing in my room? Yeah, but, but made it seem fresh. Every time, of yeah. course. Yeah. And, uh, I think both Sinatra and Dean Martin used that line. Did Dean yeah. use that line, too? Well, it's a drunk line. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What are all these people doing in my room? Right. <laughs> yeah, but would, would Dean, Dean would do it uh, uh, when he was performing on stage or as a guest? I, I think so. I've heard him do that a few times. So... Like, I'm totally uh, 
you know, I think they were probably in lots of ways horrible guys to be around oh, in certain yes. ways, and you wouldn't. But, but to have just rolled with them for a weekend would have probably been if you could have somehow hung in and just surfed behind them, you know, surfed their wake. I, I, I always think, I always think they'll never really make an honest biography about the Rat Pack or Martin and Lewis. How, yeah, it's very hard to. That one movie, I mean, uh, I think Cheadle's great as, in that movie as... Uh, as Sammy, yeah. Sammy. Uh, and, but, I mean, all of it fascinates me, you know. Brother-in-law for... Like, all of it is amazing. The movie, I think we all can acknowledge, is a piece of shit. Yeah. But the, those guys and the way that movie came together, uh, which is the best part of that movie, The Rat Pack, does show in a great way how they all decided to make that movie together, and it's great. Yeah. Um, how, like, Lawford got roped in. You know, how they all sort of, like, did it for a variety of reasons and to be out there. But, and did you guys, I'm sure you've read that, that I don't know how you pronounce the guy's name, Bill Zemi? Oh, yeah, the guy that writes, the, the guy that writes about late night TV. Yeah, yeah. He, he wrote this amazingly great, um, not Bill Carter, Bill Zemi, Z-E-H-M-E. He wrote this amazing thing about when, about, Sinatra back then, um, like for Vanity Fair, and then I think it might have ended up in a book. But he talks about this moment, um, which is it was in the morning, and suddenly uh, coming across the – they all had villas around the pool in Vegas. And suddenly the doors to a couple of them opened, and Sammy and uh, Joey Bishop and uh, probably not Dean, let's say uh, Sammy, Joey Bishop – Peter Lawford, one other of them started running across the pool and someone said, what's going on? What are you, what's going on? And Sammy said, Frank's up. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, they, what are they doing? Just waiting in there? They're not allowed out until he's up? Or they're just sitting there? Can they order room service? What can they do? You, you know my problem with the Cheadle character in those movies is that, you know, they're doing their usual stuff. They're like Italian gangsters and Jews. You mean in the every- Sinatra movies? Yeah. Oh, in the Rat Pack picture? Yeah, you yeah. Mean the, I mean, not the Cheetah, you mean the, yeah. in the, the, the Sammy Davis, not the Cheetah. Yeah, yeah, Sammy yeah, Davis. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, so they're doing their usual, like, I, where they pick him up, I'd like to thank the NAACP uh. for this award. And then they show him with, like, tears in his eyes. And I'm thinking, no, I, I don't think so. They show that. Oh, I think that's a good moment. They show that one moment where, no, he goes along with it, Sammy. And then, yes, they linger on his eyes for one second. But, you know, I don't think any of us can know what. Do you think you know what Sammy was feeling? I don't know. My guess is Sammy knew he was getting pussy and money. And uh, I don't know. You really do? You think Sammy was. I, okay. I you think, think. I think probably there were times that Sammy went back to his room. I mean, if you, had, if you were able to have second thoughts in the car after Hollywood Squares. it's <laughs> a perfect analogy. You don't, you don't think that there were moments that Sammy went... Sammy, who, by the way, you know, was the most talented of all of them. With yeah. raw, I mean, you know, the kid could dance and oh, he could yeah, play the sure. drums and the bass and sing and all of it. You don't think he ever went back, closed the door, and was just like... Motherfuckers. Not if, not if Kim Novak was there. Sure. Oh, yeah. 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 All right, Kim so Novak that's, uh, is that's a little him. mitigator. Sure, that's it three could, minutes. And then. Be, <laughs> but then after that, he goes, oh, boy, that black joke that Dino made. Oh, that. Are you familiar with that story of Frank and Dino and the president of Hunt's Foods? No, please tell Oh, it. oh God. Do uh, it on me. Uh, Let's go. Uh, 
the president of Hunts Foods, his uh, his son or daughter was getting married, and he was having uh, dinner with the parents of the uh, you know their the in laws, and so they were having dinner, and Frank and Dean are bombed out of their skulls and yelling. They own Vegas, so they do what they want, and he asked them if they could hold it down a little because they were having a nice dinner there. And Frank and Dean beat the shit out of the <laughs> owner of Hunt's Foods. He fell through a glass table and it was in a coma for a while. I think he, he lived with some uh, problems for the rest of his life. And the creepiest part of the story, they said the uh, president of Hunt's Foods did not press charges. Awesome. Yeah. Just horrible. That's that. Let's you a little taste of how creepy that really was. I know someone who was at dinner with Frank towards the end, uh, like within the last four or five years of Frank's life, and uh, they were at a restaurant in Florida, and they were bringing around a dessert cart. Do you know? You hear the story? Oh, so wait. you probably know the person who t- it was never told on a podcast or anything, but I mean, it's a sh- story that is true, and yeah. someone told me it was uh, dessert carts coming around. And I guess there's a piece of pecan pie and, uh, with a big thing of uh, you know, whipped cream on top of it. And Frank says, I'll take, the, I'll take the pecan pie. And the guy says, great, Mr. Sinatra, and starts wheeling the cart away. And Sinatra goes, Nick, I said, I'll take, the, I'll take the pie. And he says, no, 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 this is only um, for show. We have to go back. You don't tell me. <laughs> I want the pie. No, Mr. And everyone at the table is Frank. You know, everyone immediately, Frank, 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 don't worry, Frank, Frank. Such so as give me the fucking pie. And they're all looking, and you know, uh, the guy, the poor kid who's like Spider and Goodfellas, oh, yes. yeah, yeah. looking, yeah. looking, because he knows what we're going to all find. He knows, and he goes, I can't. And they, and he goes, hey. So everyone, the, the manager who's with Frank just shrugs his shoulders, like, well, you know, he wants the pie. Give him the pie. What are you going to yeah, do? Yeah. This guy says, I really don't think you should give me the pie. So he fucking puts the thing down. And uh, it's it's not whipped cream, you know. It's Crisco, so it doesn't um, so it doesn't melt on the display oh. card. It's a show pie with Crisco <laughs> on the top of it, lard. And so Frank goes, ah, "Good," and he fucking dips his spoon in <laughs> and puts the Crisco thing in his mouth. And the person who was there said, "His face turned red. He goes, what the fuck is this? What kind of joke you trying to pull on me?'" Boom goes the cart. Boom goes the table. Just destroys the entire place. Says, let's bust it up. He's like, you know, 74. And he just destroys the place. Wrecks it. And uh, the, so the person I know is like, well, are we all going to jail? You know, what's going to happen? Are we going to jail? Because everyone's just standing around like in the Goodfellas scene. And Frank has just destroyed everything. And then the manager guy was with him. Just took out a wad of like 20000 in cash. And said, you know, how do we, how do we make this go away? Oh, wow. And he always walked to them. If you went to dinner, you had to bring like twenty k. Because you knew at any moment. One of the things that's always been super compelling to me to try to figure out, and you've been around so many of these people, is like what's lost in a lot is Frank was a great, great, great artist. Like yes. the greatest of the great. Yes. I mean, you, you listen to In the Wee Small Hours. Uh, you listen to any, like, any of ten of those albums and singles. He was able to communicate like you know this incredible amount of depth and beauty and artistry and break your heart and inspire you and you'd want to follow him to the ends of the earth and somehow he was able to tap into this 
what, some essential thing about the human condition, like about what we are, in the way that he would communicate these songs. Perfect pitch. He knew he could tell you if the third bassoon was out. You know, and then somehow he's able to take that thing off, like break your heart, and then just go beat the shit out of some poor... Like, <laughs> Like, I just what is it? Is it a life of being? Is it just the in, being that indulged? That's, a, that's it, range. It's that's range. It's <laughs> kind of like. Range. What do you think that is, Gilbert? It's. But I was thinking it's kind of like that scene on The Godfather where James Caan smashes a guy's camera and then throws a water right. bills yeah. down on the ground. Right. Oh sure, yes sure. Uh, that's probably per the Don's instructions so that you don't get in trouble. But you know, you know what? What I I think of too, it's like that idea of like separating the artist from who they are. Yes, is a very it's kind hard of hard to do though. Yeah, isn't it? it? It's, it's impossible. Like I am not going to uh, admire this uh, Lenny Riefenstahl. <laughs> <laughs> She's a big talent. Yeah, by the way, a great eye for composition. A great eye for composition. Because she did all these propaganda films building up the Third Reich. And I'm supposed to go, yes, but did you see that scene? <laughs> I know, but it like. It makes Adolf look like a god. But, but, I'm able, but we're all able to forget, like with Frank, and like I said, I listen to that, I listen to his music, and I'm a rock and roll fan. Yeah. I don't listen to that, but I listen to Frank all the time, and you forget, you're just swept away in this thing. So when you ask, does Sammy feel that way? I'm a, I have to think there's no chance Sammy didn't know, because he was a bright guy, yeah. that he didn't know. Um, this something I'm selling something I'm selling out something kind of essential about myself, but I'm I'm doing it. He had to know that he 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 had made some kind of um, a deal with himself. I now, think. now that my less, guess. There was Quite all possibly. that controversy when they cut off Frank Sinatra at the Grammys or something. I don't know if you remember that. And then uh, uh, Billy Joel was angry about. It. Everybody was saying, and and I heard that Frank toward the end. Like they said, there was one roast of him, and he was up at a podium talking, and he was rambling. Oh, yeah. And they sent out as a joke this famous uh, black boxer, we'll say Muhammad Ali, I don't know who, and to uh, like take Frank's drink away from him, like away. <laughs> and he, and he says to this famous fighter, he goes, "No, I am not through with that drink." When I am through with that drink, then you could take it away. And it's like he thought it was the waiter. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Frank Sinatra, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. <laughs> All right, so we won't ask you about caper movies, but sure. I, I do want to ask you this. <laughs> so we're running out of time. Okay. So you may, oh, wait, wait, before we go, here's a joke. Gilbert's chewing. Where is he going with Gilbert's it? choking on his own. Uh, <laughs> his own, genius. <laughs> Here's a joke that rings poker <laughs> for your, your movie rounders. Yeah, this brings poker and the dick joke. Great. Okay. <laughs> a guy's playing poker. <laughs> Yeah. A guy's playing poker. He gets a call from his wife. His wife says, hey, it's late. Get home right now. And the guy says, I can't go home now. I've got a stack of quarters the size of my dick. And the wife says, well, take your 75 cents and come home. <laughs> That's a great joke. Nothing to me tops your Paul. The Paul Lynn joke that you told the other uh, podcast maybe two weeks ago, I think, to Weird Al. 
Oh, that, that's my oh, maybe yes. my favorite joke oh, yes. of all. That may be <laughs> my favorite. That's joke made several appearances on the show. <laughs> that may be my favorite. Well, it might joke make of all another time. one. That is in case anyone missed it. Yes, in case anyone <laughs> missed it, or in case anyone wants to hear what you have to say. <laughs> Gil- Gilbert was on Robert Osborne's show, and he picked he picked five movies. He was he was a guest, and he yeah. was asked to pick program for the evening, and he picked The Swimmer. Yeah, and fr- and Todd Browning's Freaks and the French Connection and a couple of no others. no not uh, the conversation the conversation uh, excuse me yeah uh, those are all great right. movies and, and the original of Mice and Men with Lon Chaney and Burgess yeah. Meredith so we have to ask the filmmaker what uh, besides Treasure of the Sierra the Mondry, price of that is the Paul Lynn joke okay, okay. you have the Paul Lynn joke Paul Lynn was one <laughs> <laughs> we're bartering now with guests. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Lynn Because <laughs> I want to tell it to Yoko the next time I see her Perfect The next time you're freezing naked next to Yoko I promise if I see her again I'll tell her this joke <laughs> If you tell her right now wherever I am You'll knock on her chamber yes. and <laughs> So Paul Lynn So Paul Lynn Why not <laughs> It's at least the third appearance of this it's joke. It's a perfect joke. Come on. It's a perfect joke. <laughs> this is basically like talking to your old relative and go, did I ever tell you about the time? And I thought, yeah, you told me this 50 times already. <laughs> but so Paul Lynn was booked in this place to perform, and it looked like an old barn that was remade into a theater, <laughs> a really shitty place. And he, he looks around and goes, this place smells like a cunt, I think. <laughs> I, wish we could, I wish we had video so you could see Brian Koppelman leaping out of his chair. <laughs> he just did the Walter Houston dance from Treasure of the Sierra Oh, God. <laughs> So, Paul you, Lynn hated the Jews, you know. I thought you were going to say the joke, which I bet no, yeah, you wouldn't no, have liked. No, he but. hated the Jews. And, and, and I have it confirmed. When I was on Hollywood Squares, the producer was the same producer. And he said that during the lunch hour, all the other guests would get together and be having lunch and, you know, telling stories and laughing, and there'd all be a lot of fun. And Paul Lynn would be bombed out of his skull. And he was an angry, angry drunk. And he would go, oh, those fucking Jews. <laughs> Hitler should have killed all of them. <laughs> those Jews are the reason I don't have a career. <laughs> Did you ever meet him? Uh, no, no. I wonder if... I want... But I, 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 I think you should write the TV movie. Because he was, he was fucking one of these young boys, or he, the boy was fucking him. and then Well, Frank should write it. Frank's yeah. a writer. And, yeah. I'm working on well, it. Well, you have a little time. No, no. Oh, a little I think time. You should. I time. think it's a great way no, to I meant Paul a, Lynn, the Paul Lynn story. I meant a good writer. <laughs> That's not. All right, five movies. You want five movies? How about movies? Jim J. Bullock and the Paul Lynn story? <laughs> That's that, is that working for you? Well, you see, we can't say Palillo anymore. Yeah, give me yeah. five. Give me five movies. And the guy he was with ran out. He panicked, and they say Paul Lynn actually could have lived had this guy called an ambulance. <laughs> the is that? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And the guy didn't want to be. Uh, yeah, he got. He panicked. Right. And made a run for it. And other people tell me Frank Sinatra killed Paul. Lynn. <laughs> 
over at Pecan Jr. Junior. Because because Junior. Paul Lynn uh, was in on the Kennedy assassination, so Frank. What's had, awesome is the percentage of people listening who know who Paul Lynn even was. <laughs> they do now. That's the best. Like I have to say, that's like the best part of the Paul Lynn joke for me. I'm 48, and I barely know why the joke is good. People so, who worked with Paul Lynn don't remember who Paul Lynn was. I remember Merv Griffin always would have foreign uh, girls with foreign accents. Well, Jaja Gabor was the biggest, but they would always manage to accidentally say something risque, and like uh, they had no idea. Of course, what the, that was the big thing. Like they would go, "Oh, I I went out for a, a blood job," uh, <laughs> and then they go, "Oh, I meant dinner." And it was like, <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh. "I like to suck a cock." I mean, oh. no, no, I meant I like to take a nap. <laughs> I like getting fucked in the head. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I enjoy Hawaii. <laughs> I don't know what Merv Griffin show you were watching. <laughs> you're saying Paul Lind isn't really sure what the barn... You're saying you're, he's not sure what the barn smells like. He has, he has a feeling. From what he's heard? Yes. From yes. what he's gathered. Yes, from what he's gathered. But he doesn't have personal... It's uh, surprising. I don't want to reveal something. I don't want to talk at a school. But Paul Lynn, I think, was gay. So that's the joke. <laughs> now you got the it. The joke is, how could he know that it smelled like that? <laughs> I knew I liked it. I didn't know why. Now I know why. It's great. Because oh. I think Paul Lynn didn't get a lot of pussy. <laughs> right, so then he, how did he know? Yes <laughs> He's not going to know That's helpful That's, You've helped a lot of people now like The Godfather 2 Okay, I'm writing them down The Godfather 2, I watched it the other night again I watched it two nights in a row, actually You know, you, It's not as much fun to watch as The Godfather But it's, uh, it's every oh, I, I, single it's moment denser. And I, okay I, uh, You know, there are great mysteries You guys answered the greatest mystery about the movie uh, When Danny was on the show Which, by the way if there, if podcast, I mean, I think there are podcast awards. Um, but you, the Danny Aiello episode is the best podcast anyone's going to do all year, and I say that as someone with my own podcast um, called The Moment, by the way, with Brian yes. Koppelman, and uh, <laughs> which you can get on iTunes. But uh, when Aiello answered the question, it's that's haunted me my whole like because I watched that movie first time when I was a little boy. You know, the question of why Michael Corleone says hello when it's not Michael Corleone is killing him, and Danny told you that. He just made it up. Yeah. yeah. And Coppola was like, go with it. But the other thing that's always been a mystery to me is why Michael decides to have Fredo bring the two million. Because nothing has changed in his view of Hyman Roth. Very interesting. Nothing has changed. He goes down there. Hyman Roth doesn't. He's figuring out that Hyman's bad. He hasn't. He thinks so ahead of time. He's not sure whether it's Fred, Right. Why does he say, storytelling-wise, why is it nothing changes? He doesn't renegotiate the amount. Hyman Roth wants $2 million, and he has Freddie bring the $2 million. And the last time I watched it, the key is when they're sitting at that outside veranda talking, he wanted Freddie down there so he could look at him and figure out if Freddie was the rat. Mm-hmm. And the way he, he needed to give Fredo a job in this thing and find a reason for Fredo to come down there. When he gets Fredo down there, now he's sitting with him now. And you watch Michael's expression when, when Fredo is saying, you know, usually you watch Fredo when he's saying, why couldn't we have been like this before? Why couldn't we, you know, and 
we know because we've watched the movie a bunch of times the regret that Fredo has the fear you see when you watch it next time don't look at Fredo during that scene only look at Michael during that scene see now that's the definition of a great film yes that no matter how many times yeah. you're always finding yeah. something well you are and you just watch watch Michael watching Fredo and you go oh my god he, he the whole reason he has him there is he's gonna figure this thing out and it's breaking his heart but he's Michael's gone over that's the moment when you know Fredo's Right there at the, on the veranda, Michael knows everything. And okay. then he's just waiting for the final piece. It's awesome. Why did Godfather 3 suck to high heaven? I left the fucking vacation early. I was on a working, you know, this one was a Christmas vacation, I, and I came home early to see the fucking movie because I was on an island yeah. somewhere. I flew home to see that piece oh. of shit. And, and I mean, he's the greatest director. Nobody's movies have made me want to do this. Like, you know, it's Francis Ford Coppola, the Coen brothers, Barry Levinson, Scorsese, Quentin. There's Spike Lee. There are these, you know, he's uh, the ultimate. I mean, the conversation is it's as great. good as anything else. Just yeah. watched it. The, the two Godfather movies, fucking Apocalypse Now would be the best movie. If you're not Francis Ford Coppola, that's the best movie you've made, Apocalypse yeah. Now. It's one of the great movies. But boy, did everybody just whiff on that thing. It's kind of like I feel like no one in Godfather 3 ever watched the first two. I think it comes down to something really simple. I've given this too much thought. I just think it's as simple as them not paying Duval. Really? Think about it. The moment Tom Hagen's not in that, he's the anchor of those movies. The moment Tom Hagen's not there to be the person looking at Michael for us, Tom Hagen processes the change in Michael Corleone. He's right from the beginning talking to him at the wedding. He's there the whole time. He's the guy in the second movie who's his change and is watching Michael change. And then when you don't have that guy who was the other connection to Don Corleone and to Sonny, it can't work. Then you have to make – now suddenly you just make up the story. There's nothing tethering him to the the world Mario Puzo. Yeah. There are, lot, there are a lot of so other I problems. I think that's like, yes, but they, yeah. I think they come from that. Because right. then you have to invent the Joe Montagna character. Right. Then you have to invent all these other things. I don't think he had any passion for making it. He spent 25 years avoiding it. Yeah, and it's refusing a very to difficult do it. thing. And, and when you watch, you know, uh, Pacino in Godfather 2 and 1, where he's so quiet and intense, where it looks like he's not doing anything... And then in three, you feel He's like... He's chewing going, the scenery. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you say, hold, could you pull it back a little, you know? <laughs> okay, so Godfather 2 uh, is one. All right, I heard a great Pacino story the other day that I'm going to tell. This is not my story. It's uh, Hank Azaria's story, but I'm telling it. Hank, I'm telling your story. Okay. Uh, Hank, there are, he was once in a barn, yeah, and he you, said, this you got to get Azaria. <laughs> you guys have to get Hank Azaria on this show. He'd be a perfect guest for you guys. But... Um, Big fan. He's on, on the movie Heat with Pacino, and Pacino, it's late at night, and they're going to do that scene where he says, you know, a great ass. Uh-huh. And, you know, Michael Mann, who's directed and wrote that movie, is famous for working people very hard and for very many hours. And, um, and Michael Mann is also, like, uh, you know, super cool. Like the way, oh, you know, he's one yeah, of these guys, yeah. you know, leather jacket, the perfect leather jacket, the perfect whatever, even at however old. And... Uh, because they're working so much, you know, actors will often say to a director, tell me where I am in the story. And so Pacino says to Michael Mann, you know, where are we? Where am I in the story? And, and Michael Mann leads. It's three in the morning. They're working. Michael Mann goes, well, uh, you know, you're coming from a place. Bobby, De Niro goes, Bobby just jackpotted you. You were jackpotted <laughs> by Bobby. And now you got Hank here. You're jackpotting him. Because what you're trying to do 
is, you know, you're trying to put Bobby in a jackpot. And the way you're going to do that is you're going to jackpot Hank here. You got him wrapped up in a jackpot because you got jackpotted by him. And you're furious because dare, how dare this motherfucker jackpot you. <laughs> and Al looks at him and just goes, I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's okay. Godfather 2, I would have to put a Coen Brothers movie on there. Um, the Big Lebowski. If we're doing it, this is not my five favorite movies of all time. It's just what I would want to. What, what uh, you would program? You know, you could say Miller's Crossing, but I'll say instead. I'll say, but I'll say Lebowski. I'm only going to do one from any filmmaker. I would say Goodfellas, um, Diner. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Diner for sure. And um, I would love, and, and I'll have to end it. End it early the next morning. A sentimental pick, perhaps. Uh, it's like between, with Ron no, it's between <laughs> it's between Bridge on the River Kwai, which is not the sentimental pick. Yeah. It'd be between that and uh, Groundhog Day, hmm. just something from Harold Ramis. But uh, but Bridge on the River Kwai is something that everybody needs to see, don't you think? But you know, you know, it's funny. I was watching a documentary. It is yeah, Bridge on the River Kwai <laughs> is laugh out loud. I was watching a documentary on the actual uh, River Kwai, that whole thing, the whole story. From the oh really being these people you know English and Americans held prisoner by the Japanese, and they were telling what was going on there, and they said outside of the concentration camps, the worst treatment of anyone was those uh, who are holding them hostage. Yeah, you know, right before you know, remember that scene when the guy gets put in that hot thing? He gets put. What do you call that thing? That hot box? Oh yeah. Right before Yoko Ono went in there. <laughs> really. <laughs> Yeah, because he was going to get in the hot box. <laughs> and then, yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> what other podcast covers the bridge on the river Kwai <laughs> and, and Dustin go. Diamond beating the shit out of Ron Palillo? <laughs> Thanks for doing this, Brian. It was fun. This, uh, Anything else you want to plug besides the podcast? Anything else coming up? No, there's um, a show that will come out on Showtime, but not for a while. We're starting to shoot um, in January. It's called Billions. Uh, Dave and I wrote it with the journalist Andrew Ross Sorkin, starring Paul Giamatti and Damian Lewis, and really excited about that. My podcast, The Moment, with Brian Kaufman. And then, Gilbert, I have to tell you, I didn't tell you this. Uh, when I was in college... They had this game show called Remote Control. Do you remember it on MTV? Oh, yes. Colin Quinn. Yes. And they went around to colleges to audition people to be on this game show. And they, at, the, at my school, Tufts, uh, 300 people showed up for this audition. They picked three out of 300. I was picked. And the way I was picked, so they would call you up to the stage, and you would get up there, and they would say, tell us something or do something. I was in the audience and they said, you know, Brian Koppelman, come up to the stage. And right from my seat, I went, stop, it's too much. <laughs> and stop, no more, enough. And I did it for, I just did three minutes of you walking up and onto the stage. I never opened my eyes, the thing, and they picked me to go on the show. So thank you. Wow. Yeah, 19, and that was in 19, I was doing Godfrey Impressions back in 87. So you owe me your career. And the whole thing happened yeah. from being wow. remote control. That's right. So thank you. It's come full Wow. Circle. Thank you for that. Do a little more Gilbert before we Stop. call out. Stop. <laughs> it's too much. It's enough already. Enough. Stop. It's too much. It's more than I can take. It's not even fair. It's not nice. It's not. It's beyond nice. Well, that was either Brian Copperman or Gilbert Gottfried <laughs> saying that that's enough. And so. It's too much. Yeah. It's too much. So. 
We have been talking to Brian Koppelman, and uh, and uh, I still don't know what the fuck you do, but that's not important. <laughs> gives a shit. <laughs> We've been talking to screenwriter Brian Koppelman, and this has been... Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre. If you like listening to comedy, try watching it on the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleichinger, Slicing driving friends with her for 10 years. One of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to youtube.com slash waitforitcomedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore. Because it's here. And it's funny. And I love you. A few days ago, Brooke Tudine posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and three comments. Thumbs up, Brooke. Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.